This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, the American Cancer Society estimates that this year in the United States there will be about 220,000 new cases of prostate cancer, with almost 28,000 deaths from this disease. And since one man in seven will be diagnosed with prostate cancer at some time in his life, how does one determine the best approach to treatment? Well, here with more on all of this is Dr. Rakesh Khanna. He's Assistant Professor of Urology at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Khanna. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in recent years about the best way to treat prostate cancer, but let's begin for our listeners with a brief overview before we get to treatment. First, what exactly is prostate cancer? So prostate cancer is basically a disorderly growth of the glands in the prostate. The prostate is basically an organ that secretes ejaculate fluid. That's responsible when, when men ejaculate during sexual intercourse. When these glands, they become disorder, disorganized in their growth, that is what we call prostate cancer when they're no longer normal appearing glands. Now, people have problems with their prostate as well, and it's not cancer. That's often termed something benign, benign prostatic hyperplasia. And that can interfere with things like urination and all kinds of bodily function. But that is not cancer. There's a distinction between that. Absolutely. So benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH, simply refers to having an enlarged prostate gland. It does not mean cancer of the prostate gland. So do we know what causes prostate cancer? There are probably multiple genetic abnormalities that lead to prostate cancer, which is the abnormality that causes the cancer. That we don't know, but there's intense research they're, being developed in this. They're, so they're researching it very carefully and trying to understand what are the changes in the DNA of the cell that leads the growth, the growth to kind of become out of control. Yes. And the danger of that though is when it's when it's limited to the prostate gland itself, it's contained. But isn't the danger basically when it metastasizes outside? Exactly. And again, that's where a lot of the research is going right now because we're trying to identify on the molecular level at the DNA level, can we see which gene abnormalities are responsible from taking it to a confined stage to a metastatic stage where it's spread outside the prostate because the outcomes are very different. So what are the risk factors? What, you know, what would lead someone, it sounds like quite a lot of men, one in seven, do face prostate cancer at some time in their lives. What are the risk factors contributing to this? So, so the number one risk factor is age. That means if you're a man and you live long enough, you're going to get a prostate cancer. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that many men are going to have very small prostate cancers. They're never going to know about it in their t lifetime. Because basically, are they often asymptomatic? They're, exactly. They're asymptomatic. And, you know, only a small percentage of those men are going to be symptomatic. And even a smaller percentage of those men are actually going to die from prostate cancer. So again, it's as you get older, it's just very, it's just a fact of life, actually, as you get older. Aside from age, probably race, African Americans do have a higher incidence. And we don't know why, we of course. We don't know why. Mm -hmm. And uh, family uh, history, yeah. an early family history of prostate. Not just any family history, right? But again, early age onset family history is probably associated with prostate cancer. How about um, diet? Has there been any, any links to the kind of diet? Like Western diet has certainly been found to be responsible for many, many 
disease so entities. Not 100% associated. And how about obesity? Again, not 100% associate, but again, there is some data that people who are obese, they do tend to do worse with regards to prostate cancer. So in other words, if they get prostate cancer, the outcome is, is more serious. Exactly. How about things like um, smoking? Because that obviously plays a role in many, many, many other disease entities. So I'm not advocating smoking. Smoking is not good for you. There's a hundred reasons to stop smoking. Has smoking conclusively been established with prostate cancer? No. Well, how about things like workplace exposures, any of those kinds of things, or sexually transmitted diseases? Do those play a role? Again, not 100% established, right? So there are, are some uh, chemical exposures, veterans, for example, who have been exposed in the war to chemicals, right? But just a typical workplace exposure, no. So are there things that people can do to prevent? In other words... If these risk factors that you mentioned, it almost sounds like if you live long enough, you will get it. But the more concerning prostate cancer is when you get it early and you're younger. Mm -hmm. So are there things that they found that might play a role in terms of prevention? Are there lifestyle things? Again, not conclusively. There are some data, depending on the type of foods you eat, physical activity, you know, being can decrease, you know, the rate of the prostate cancer. But... Again, conclusively, no. Now, having said that again, it's just good sense to be active, be healthy, eat proper. That's good. Is that going to decrease your risk of prostate cancer? Again, not conclusively. It definitely will not increase your risk of prostate cancer. How about, how do you know, for example, I guess we started talking talking about prostate cancer and about the fact that very often it's asymptomatic. So how does one know they have prostate cancer or that either, you know, lead to some suspicion they may have it? That's a great question. We've actually gone through two stages in prostate cancer treatment. Back in the 1980s and before, we were diagnosing primarily people with prostate cancer based on physical examination, meaning we felt a big nodule on the prostate. At that stage, a lot of people came with advanced disease, meaning they came with their kidneys blocked, they came with blood in their urine or difficulty urinating, they came with kidney failure, they came with the prostate cancer having spread to their bones and they get a lot of bone pain. So by then, it was really hard to treat. It was exactly. Now, since the 90s and up until more recently, we've actually been diagnosing most of the prostate cancers through PSA screening. And that's basically as a result of a blood test. Exactly. And you're looking for something in the blood that indicates what? Inflammation? What does it tell you? So great question. So PSA is a blood, it's an enzyme from the prostate. It stands for prostate-specific antigen. It's not prostate cancer-specific antigen. It's prostate-specific antigen. What we find is that with patients who have prostate cancer, the PSA level is elevated. Now, PSA is not the perfect test by no means. You can have prostate cancer with a PSA, with a normal PSA, and depending on what your PSA is, you might not have prostate cancer, okay? But PSA is the best screening test we have right now. Now, people are doing additional research or trying to find other modalities to help diagnose prostate cancer, but right now, PSA is what we're using, and by no means perfect. 
the whole point, though, is getting back to your question earlier, nowadays, because we're screening, we're trying to find the prostate cancers before they become symptomatic because we're trying to find them with the idea that they're localized. And if they're localized and they're smaller and we treat them, you will have a better outcome. So getting back to that whole idea, what you're saying is routinely these days, if you go for an adult adult exam, a physical exam with your your general internist or your family practitioner or what have you, your primary care provider, you would have a screening test like a PSA in most cases. Great question. A lot of controversy about that. The U.S. Uh, Preventative Services Task Force actually came out with a recommendation advising against PSA screening hmm. because, again, PSA is not the perfect test. It can lead to a lot of false positive diagnoses, and it can lead to a lot of overtreatment. So you have to be careful when you order the test, okay? But Now, but I, will, I will tell you, though, we do have data. There was a large study done in Europe where they screened men with PSA, and they found it did decrease the mortality from prostate cancer in men who got screened. The caveat to that, though, was that we had to treat a lot of men in order to save a lot of these. And there may have been unnecessary treatment exactly, along the way. Exactly. So we can diagnose the cancers, but we have to also work better on how do we treat them afterwards. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with urologist Dr. Rakesh Khanna, and we're talking about prostate cancer. So therein lies the rub. I mean, that's where the controversy has been. Our, our diagnostic methodology is somewhat limited. It's better than it was because at least now you do have a non-invasive blood test to begin the process. And then you basically are left with this kind of dilemma. Who do you screen? What does the test tell you? And it's my understanding, and help us understand this better, that part of the problem is it's really difficult to determine how aggressive a particular type of cancer in the prostate may be, and it varies. Some people have very quiet, uh, non-aggressive tumor, and others have extremely aggressive, which are the ones you want to get. And the PSA, am I correct, doesn't really tell it, you it that. It does not. So the PSA, the key point when you talk to me, the PSA does not diagnose prostate cancer. The only way you diagnose the prostate cancer and to get to your, how do you identify the aggressiveness of the prostate cancer is to do a biopsy of the prostate. So that is the diagnostic test. So then depending what the PSA level is, depending what the biopsy results show, depending on what your physical exam findings are, then we categorize as to which type of prostate cancer it is. Do we think this is probably a low-grade or not a dangerous prostate cancer, or is this a very dangerous prostate cancer? And obviously, if it's very dangerous, you want to get in there and do the most aggressive treatment possible, including surgery, perhaps radiation, all kinds of things. What's come up in recent years, though, is this whole notion, as you said, with the U.S. Preventative Task Force saying, don't even screen. And I know there are some countries that do not even screen for prostate for PSA. Um, is this whole notion of two things. One is called watchful waiting, and another is called active surveillance. First of all, what's the difference between those two, and what are they? So both watchful waiting and active surveillance refer to after being diagnosed with prostate cancer. What both of them rely upon is that there are many cancers that are not going to cause any real symptoms or effect on your lifetime. 
So the idea, for example, for watchful waiting is we say, look, it's not going to bother you. Leave it. Unless it causes you a problem at some point in your life, then we'll deal with it. With active surveillance, we're actually following you very closely. That means with repeat blood tests, repeat physical exam, with a repeat prostate biopsy. And what we're looking at is we're looking for any signs of progression of the prostate cancer, whether it's grown in size, whether under the microscope it's become a little bit more aggressive, whether on exam it's grown. Because if we've seen there's any signs of progression, then we treat. So one is basically treatment before spreads, before it becomes symptomatic with the intent of cure. The watchful waiting is more of a symptomatic treatment. But isn't there a potential downside to both of those in that you lose potentially time and allow the cancer to perhaps grow and spread and cause more havoc? A hundred percent, you're correct. And that's where, again, you have to appropriately select which patients should go on either approach. How do you do that? With the three things we look at. Again, the PSA, which is the blood test, because if it's a low PSA, your biopsy shows a low-grade prostate cancer, and there's not a lot on the biopsy, probably this is not something that's going to be an issue. Probably will be safe to watch it. And will the patient's age play a role here? So are we talking, for example, if you're somebody who's got only likely 20 years of life ahead of you or 15 years of life ahead of you, the chances are you might choose something less aggressive? So Exactly. So the age does play a role. The other issue is actually what are, what's important to the patient. So patients might find certain quality of life value, values very important to them. That with treatments, these are significant side effects. So, so, for example, go ahead. So, for example, one of the risks of surgery, one of the risks of radiation therapy is erectile dysfunction or urinary leakage. And a patient might say, look, I, I'm young. These are things I don't want to lose. I don't want to risk it. And that's reasonable. And then depending on the type of the cancer they have, surveillance might be a very reasonable option for them. So do you find that, how about in terms of the long, if someone is probably in the middle, middle of their life and they have a lot of life ahead of them potentially and they're looking at um, a, a low-grade type of cancer, would you then advocate for something to that patient? And, of course, they Absolutely. don't want to so, take the chance. So I, I advocate to every patient when I see them in the clinic. There's always the same options for prostate cancer. There's surveillance, there's surgery, there's radiation therapy, and there's cryosurgery. There's always the same options. But absolutely, for somebody who's a little bit older, who has a lower-grade disease, I, I strongly recommend active surveillance. And I guess the question is, in your experience, does that ever lead to you know, negative consequences where you've lost time and the person ends up getting a very you know, profound spread? Touch wood, no. <laughs> so, Touch wood, no. So generally, this whole notion of active surveillance does save on the idea of surgery for many people. Surgery and radiation treat, uh, I mean, treatment for the prostate cancer. More aggressive treatment. Yes, yes. And people can basically live with prostate cancer is what you're saying. And they never know about it because, again, we found it through a blood test that they would never have known otherwise. Well, that's pr very helpful information. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing it with us. It has been a quandary for a lot of people, but I think you've put a, a fine point on it. 
Thanks again for coming in. My guest has been Dr. Rakesh Khanna, Assistant Professor of Urology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.